0: My name is Penny, and I'm the pastor here, and if you're our guest or a visitor, welcome. We are glad that you are with us this morning as we come to worship our God and our King, the one that we just sang of, um, who calls us His saints. Not because we are perfect, uh, not because we are without sin, far from it. We are actually going to talk about that today in the psalm that we consider. We have great sin. Uh, He doesn't call us His saints because of our moral perfections. He calls us his saints because of what he has done. Our Lord Jesus has died and risen again, and he has made us his own, and so he calls us his own. And so we gather to worship him, and we gather to come to his word. And the portion of his word that we are going to look at this morning comes from Psalm chapter 32. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there, Psalm 32. The passage is also printed in your order of service. You can follow along there uh, if, if you don't have a Bible. Uh, psalm 32 is a psalm of David. It is one of the seven penitential psalms, so this means that uh, the, the center, the, the theme of this psalm is confession. Uh, it's his he is penitent as he's coming to the Lord. He's aware of his sin, and so he comes confessing. But, but what's fascinating about this is that even as he comes confessing, he does so with joy. There's joy found in confession. So let's follow along and see why it is that David can sing with joy. Psalm 32, a mass kill of David I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely, in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule, without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Our our King, as we come to your word we ask that you would show us the beauty that is found in it, that you would lead us to yourself, and that we would fall before you with shouts of joy at the good work that you have done. Lead us in the way that we are to go and direct our paths, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Hey, um, Charlie, could you turn me down a little bit? I feel like I'm very, very loud in my, at least to me, I'm very loud. Um, is that, is that okay with y'all? Can you still hear me? That, that's better to me. So great. Thank you. Appreciate it. So um, if you know me and my family, which many of you do, you know that we have a Uh, a mild and very healthy uh, appreciation for the St. Louis Cardinals baseball team. (laughs) Uh, You can spot every one of our cars in the parking lot. They're the ones with the Cardinal decal on them. We loved going to Cardinals games when we lived in St. Louis. It was a normal pastime during the summer. I would go half a dozen times or, or actually often more like a dozen times a summer. And I remember the very last game that I got to go to before we uh, moved to Roanoke. It was me and Cole. It was a cool spring evening in 2016. It was a night game, and we're sitting there about 13 rows behind home plate, looking straight down the third baseline. I mean, the seats were perfect. They were amazing. We're sitting with two friends of ours, and, and there we sat watching the Cardinals play. We don't remember who they played, but I remember they won, and so that was a good night. But what made an even better night is the way they won. You see, the Cardinals hit five home runs that game. Five home runs. It was as though they knew we were there, and they were gifting us with this as we left St. Louis. But what was even more amazing is that of those five home runs, there were two times where they hit back-to-back home runs. Now, now if you don't know much about baseball, a back-to-back home run is just that. One guy hits a home run, the next that bat, hits another home run. It doesn't happen every day, but they did it twice in one game, and so there we are. We're sitting. We're watching the game. The the There's been three home runs. It's later in the, the game now, and the batter comes up. I forget who's hitting. He comes up, and the pitcher pitches, and he cracks it, and it goes over the wall, and the crowd jumps to their feet in excitement and joy, celebration, right, and I turn to Cole to give him a high five, but but I can't give him a high five because I look down at my young son and he's got both fists in the air above his head and his head is cocked back and his mouth is as open as he can get it and there's this vein popping out of his neck and he is screaming in joy and celebration. And I had to laugh. (laughs) And the other people around us laughed too at the joy that was being expressed in this little man. He told me I could share this, by the way. So we sit down. We've all calmed. We've relaxed, right? Four home runs. Incredible. Four home runs. Well, the next batter gets up. He stands there. The pitcher kicks. He delivers, and as soon as he hit it, I knew it was gone. We jumped to our feet. I pulled out my phone. I opened the camera, and instead of watching the ball sail over the fence, I fixate on (laughs) Cole because I know what's going to happen, and sure enough, I'm able to capture this unfettered, unhinged joy. Again, arms raised and mouth open and whooping and yelling at joy and celebration. I mean, it is a perfect picture of unhindered, unfettered joy. I love this picture so much that it's It's the wallpaper on my phone. It's the picture I have of him in my study. So every time I look at it, I see what joy looks like. And you know what this joy is like. You don't have to see that picture. You don't have to see that picture of Cole's vein popping out of his neck to understand what this joy is like because you've experienced this kind of joy as well you've seen it erupt in the hearts of others, right? Like the bride who takes her new husband's hand after the pastor declares you are now man and wife and throws it in the air in celebration. You know the joy of high fives when your team makes the great play or scores the important run. You know the joy of the the whoops and the throwing of caps in the air when those four or five or maybe six years of college are finally over. We know that joy. And that's the kind of joy that the psalmist is describing here. This is the kind of joy that David declares we are to have. Did you hear at the very end of our passage in verse 11? David says, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy. Shout for joy. Now that phrase shows up 16 times in the Psalter. Shout for joy. 16 times it fills our psalms. And it's spread out over a whole host of different genres. You hear this language, shout for joy, in the royal psalms, at the coming of the king, in historical psalms, in the recounting of God's people. It's found in lament psalms, and even in penitential psalms like this. Psalms of confession, David says, shout for joy. That's interesting, isn't it? In a psalm of confession, he would say, shout for joy. Why would he say that? Why would David encourage God's people not just to be quiet about their joy, not to whisper it, but to shout it aloud? Why would he say that when talking about confession? There's a couple of reasons. The first is because his sin has been exposed. And the second is because as his sin is exposed, he finds himself hiding in God. He says, shout for joy. Why? Because his sin is made known. Now, now I have to tell you, um, when I think about my sin being exposed, confessing my sin to others, joy is not the word that I often uh, go to in my mind, right? I mean, to confess our sin, that's often painful, right? Who, who wants to be exposed like that? I mean, how many of us have woken up this week and thought, you know, today's going to be a great day, I just can't wait. I mean, it's going to be happy and blessed, and it's going to be filled with great joy because I'm going to go to someone and say, will you tell me how I've sinned? (laughs) Right? Anybody do that? No, of course you didn't, right? Because that's not how we think about our sin being exposed. We don't think about it as a joyful thing. No, we don't expose our sin. Oftentimes, we actually hide our sin, don't we? We hide it. We put it away. We don't let anyone see it. That's what David had done. Look at verse 3. He says, For when I kept silent. When I kept silent, this is past tense. David's reflecting on a time when when he hadn't acknowledged his sin, when he had kept it hidden. Now, we don't know exactly what circumstance he's describing in Psalm 32. Some have speculated that this is probably alluding to the, the sin that he committed with Bathsheba. We know Psalm 51 absolutely is dealing with that circumstance. But let's just think about that. Think about David and that sin. Think about the lengths he went to to ensure that no one would find out about it. There he is, if you're not familiar with the story, King David, he's up on his rooftop. He hasn't gone to war with all his men like he should have and said he stayed home. And he's walking around his rooftop and he looks down and he sees a woman bathing. And he lusts after her. And he's the king, so he brings her to his home And he sleeps with her, and she becomes pregnant. And so what does David do? Well, he calls for her husband, Uriah, who's a part of the military. Come home. Come home. Get some rest. Go be with your wife. In the hopes that he would sleep with his wife, and that when everyone found out that Bathsheba was pregnant, everyone would assume it's Uriah's child. Tried to hide it. But you remember, Uriah was more honorable than the king. He wouldn't even go into his home. He he slept at the doorpost because how could he go and be with his wife when his comrades in arms, when his fellow soldiers were on the battlefield? And so he wouldn't go and be with her. So David had to hide his sin again. So what does he do? He sends Uriah back to the battlefield. He puts him on the front line, and he orders the general to pull away so that Uriah is left by himself and he will be killed. And then he invites Bathsheba into his home and marries her and has a child with her. Now, now to the bystander, to someone who's just looking, to someone who has no idea what has just taken place, I mean, it doesn't seem... Forget the polygamy. (laughs) Uh, I mean, that's a problem in of itself. But, but putting that aside, everything actually looks pretty good, doesn't it? I mean, this kind and generous king taking in this poor widow. And now look, there's a baby. What a blessing. He's tried to hide his sin. The sin that was not exposed just continued to beget more sin. Lust and adultery and murder and polygamy. It just increased all the more when he tried to hide it. Now this impulse to hide our sin, this is nothing new with David. This has actually been the impulse of our hearts since Adam and Eve. You know this. After Adam and Eve rebelled against God, what was the first thing they did? They hid in the bushes. They didn't want God to see their sin. They didn't want God to know that they had rebelled against him. Adam and Eve hid, and David hid, and so do we. We hide our sin. We don't bring it into the light. We hide it, and we conceal it. We're unwilling to expose it. Why do we do this? Why are we unwilling to expose our sin? Well, I think there's a few reasons. I think one is we, we've convinced ourselves that these sins, they're not that bad. I mean, they're just little things. We don't really have to talk about them. We we'll just kind of ignore them and hopefully they'll go away. They're so small and insignificant. I think sometimes also we think that, well, this sin, it's just conti- contained in my mind or my heart. And, and so, so it's not really hurting anyone, right? No one has to know. It's not going to hurt me or, or my relationships with others. It has really no consequences. And so I can indulge in it. Or maybe we think that if we confess, well, well then we're going to be shunned. Right, you might be sitting there thinking, yeah, confess my sin, that sounds great, Pastor, but you don't know what I've done. If people knew what I did, there's no way that they would forgive or be gracious. They would condemn. But the truth is, friends, that these are lies. These are lies that we tell ourselves and these are lies that the devil whispers in our ears. The truth is, is that actually our sin, those, the sins that we think are just so small, so insignificant, they are far worse than we ever can realize. They are far more significant than we know. Our sin, whether everyone knows or no one knows, it hurts. It hurts our relationship with each other. It hurts our relationship with God. It hurts us. That's what David said in verse 3. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Do you hear how significant it is? When he held his sin in, it actually physically affected him. And we know what this is like, right? We can't eat or we eat too much. We can't sleep or all we do is sleep. We fill our days with lethargic, lethargically doing of nothing or we busy ourselves so much so we don't even have to think about it. But regardless of how we respond to this hidden sin, when we hide our sin, we waste away. It grows and it expands and it hurts and it destroys. It's kind of like moss in my yard. (laughs) Maybe some of you have moss in your yard. I have low places. It's not as bad now as it once was, but I have low places in my yard where there's moss rather than grass, and there's a few reasons why there might be moss. It might be that just your soil needs more lime, and that's easy to solve, but it might be that the sun isn't penetrating through the tree leaves, and so the water that gets into that soil, it can't evaporate quick enough, and so over time, moss starts to develop, right? And it's just a little bit. It's not that significant just a little bit in the beginning but over time as the water continues to sit there as the water doesn't drain off of the soil the moss starts to increase and it starts to grow and that little bit has become a lot and it's destroyed any bit of grass that once was there because it hasn't been exposed to the light that when it was hiding in the shade it just grew and it destroyed and the same is true of our sin That when we hide it, when we keep it in the shadows, it grows and it hurts and it destroys and it causes us to waste away. We have to expose our sin. And the way that we expose it is through confession. That's what David says in verse 5. I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. I will confess. So I have to ask you, are you confessing? Are you confessing your sin? You know, one of the reasons why we have confession every single week, every single Sunday, it's not because, well, maybe we forgot one. Like, whoops, I forgot to confess that one on Monday, so I better make up for it today. That's not why we do confession every Sunday. We do confession every Sunday because the posture of the Christian is, is to be a person, a man and a woman of confession. That's why we confess. We confess every Sunday because we enter into the presence of a holy God, right? That's how our liturgy works. We are called to worship, come into his presence with singing, rejoice that the Lord has called us. We enter into his presence and we cannot help but be reminded of the fact that we come as sinful people. When we are confronted by God's holiness, our sin is made all the more apparent. And so we must confess. I confess my sin to the Lord, my transgressions before him. We have to confess to God. But it also means that we have to confess to one another. James chapter 5 says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Did you hear that? If you want healing, if you want freedom, if you want victory over those sins that are taking over in your heart, you must confess to God and to one another. Now look, that doesn't mean that everyone needs to know everything, okay? But it does mean that everything needs to be known. That we don't hide. Now I have to ask you, that's kind of scary, isn't it? To live that exposed? It's kind of scary. I mean, I know that fear. That fear of of confessing something and wondering, am I going to be condemned rather than forgiven? I mean, just the other day, I confessed some sin to to some people, and and I have to tell you that in the midst of it, it was in the midst of a conversation, and, and it was just kind of naturally coming, and I could feel the confession getting closer to my lips, and as it did so, I started to wonder internally, Maybe I don't need to do this. If I just close my mouth right now, no one will know. Because what I'm about to share is just in my mind and in my heart, and no one will ever know. And and I'm the pastor, so what will they think if I confess sin? (laughs) But y'all, if we want to be healed, James says, if we don't want our bodies to waste away, as David says... We must confess. We must confess. It means we have to be a people, and we have to be a place where confession is normal, where, where we are a people in a place where others can come and share their struggles and their failures, not to wallow in their sin, but to experience grace. That's why there's joy in exposing our sin. That's why David can say, rejoice and shout for joy. Because in bringing our sin into the light, we find grace and mercy. You see, when we confess our sin, we're not hiding it. We're actually hiding in God. God. That's the other reason why we can have joy, why we can celebrate at confession, because as we do so, we make God our hiding place. That's what verse 7 says. You are a hiding place for me. What a beautiful image. What a beautiful image that God is a place of refuge, a place to find care. Deuteronomy chapter 32 describes God as an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. Jesus in Matthew 23 says, How often to Jerusalem would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? Do you hear that? God pulls his people in and he covers them and shelters them with his wings. He protects them and covers them. You may think that if you confess your sin, God will cast you out. And he'll put up barriers and and say that only the perfect, only the righteous, only the godly will be able to cross those barriers. But that's not what David tells us. In verse 1, what did he say? Blessed is the one who has no transgression. Blessed is the one who is without sin. No, that's not what he said. He said, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Blessed is the one whose sin is covered. Do you hear that? That it is the godly who come confessing their sins, not those who are without sin. In fact, in verse 6, David says, Let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you can be found. Show me a godly man, and I will show you a man of confession. I will show you a man who recognizes his need for God. You see, friends, when we confess our sin, we are actually coming to the only one who can help us. We are exposing our souls to God so our souls would be forgiven. That's why David says in verse 5, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. He confessed so that forgiveness would come. We confess that we may find grace and are found hidden in Christ. That's what Colossians 3 tells us. Paul in Colossians 3 says that if we have died and risen with Christ, which is just another way of saying if you are trusting in his work on the cross, his death for your sins, he tells us that your life is hidden with Christ in God. That we are hidden with him. That Christ is our place of refuge from judgment because he took that judgment on himself. You see, Christ is, is our place of protection because he willingly gave himself in death. He is the place of life because he rose again. So we are hidden in him. That's what we com- why we confess when we first believe, but that's why we confess every day. That's why we continue to confess because we are hidden with Christ. And so if you are hidden with him, As you come confessing your sin, God doesn't stand over you as a brooding father with arms crossed looking down on you with displeasure and frustration and disappointment. No, when we confess our sins, when we are hidden in Christ, look what God does. Verse 7, he's my hiding place. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. God shouts over us. You are forgiven. You have been delivered He shouts over us, your sin, it has been covered. He shouts, my grace is sufficient. Christ has paid the price of your sin and you are covered with his blood. That is what we hear shouting in our ears. Not the shouts that whisper, keep your sin hidden. Not the shouts that that cry out, you are condemned. We hear, you are delivered. He surrounds us with shouts of deliverance. Martin Luther once said, when the devil throws your sin in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this. I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? (laughs) What a wonderful question. He goes on, for I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God, and where he is, there I shall also be. The only reason Luther can say that, the only reason he can shout that truth at the devil when he comes whispering is because he has heard that shouted to him. Because he has heard God say over him, You are delivered. And that's what he says for all those who have been hidden in Christ. And so we confess our sins today. We come and we say, I have sinned against God and against man, and I am in need of forgiveness. There is urgency. We do it today. There's urgency. Did you hear David, what he said in verse 6? Let everyone who is godly offer a prayer to you at a time when you can be found. The implication is that we must confess now while we still can. I was having a conversation not long ago with a man who, who's not a Christian, his his own admission. We were talking about the gospel, about Christ, about, about God. And he said, Oh yeah, I, I believe that there's a God. And I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he died on the cross. I even believe in the resurrection, but but I'm not ready to give my life to him. I'm not ready yet. One day I will, but not today. He said, I, I know that my days are numbered. That God has a portion for me the, the number of days in my life. I know that there is a day coming. And I can't do anything about it when I will stand before him. But today, I, 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 I can't submit myself to him today. And so what did I say? Friend, do not wait. Do not wait. You do not know when that day will come. Call on him when he can be found. Because if you wait too long, you will not be able to call out. There's an urgency, friends. There is an urgency that David is putting before us. He's saying, Confess your sin while you can. Do not wait. Don't wait till you can clean up your life. Do not wait until your children get older and, and they need a good example. Do not wait until it's convenient. That day may not come. There's an urgency. Call out to him today. And as we call out to him, as we confess to him, we're promised in Romans 10 that those who confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Do not wait. Do not let the shame of your sins silence your confession. Confess your sins and find your hiding place in Christ. Now in a few minutes we're going to sing a song. We're going to end our time this morning by singing a, a hymn that probably many of us know. Blessed Assurance. And as I was looking over this hymn this past week, as we were going over the, the bulletin, um, I read verse three. It says, Perfect submission, all is at rest. I in my Savior am happy and blessed. And as I was reading over those words, I realized I've been misreading and missing that song for years. <laughs> Because the way that I have always sung that song is I and my Savior am happy and blessed. But that's not what it says. Now you see this theology that is in that stanza in verse 3 is the very theology we have been talking about of being hidden in Christ. I in my Savior am happy and blessed. You see that is where joy comes. That is why we can sing and rejoice. Because our sin, it has been done away with by Christ, by his cross. That is why we can say, I am happy and blessed because I am united to Christ. I am hidden with him. And so friends, confess your sin. Trust in Christ. He is your hiding place. Your sins, they have been forgiven. That's why we can say with David, be glad in the Lord. And rejoice, O righteous. That is why we can say with David, shout for joy, all you upright in heart. For in Christ, God has forgiven the iniquity of your sin. Let us celebrate. Let us be filled with joy. Let us shout and rejoice. Amen. Our God our King, we do ask that that would be the posture of our lives, of confession and repentance, that we would know that you, Lord Jesus, by your work on the cross, you have delivered us, and that there are now shouts of deliverance, that because of what you have done, you have united us to yourself, and we are hidden with you. You have made us your own, and we are yours. And so we praise you. We celebrate and we rejoice That you have done away with our sin, and so we confess it. We have fallen short. We have fallen short of your glory, but you, Lord Jesus, are glorious. And so we cling to that glory, your work on our behalf, and ask that you would fill our hearts with rejoicing this day and all our days. And we pray it in your name, and God's people said, Amen.